me introduce you to, uh, I will introduce you to one of our guests and she will introduce you to the other guest. My guest is Emily Thomas. She was a senior journalist for Storyful, the world's first social media verification news service or news agency. God, we need that, don't we? News editor for the Huffington Post covering breaking news, graduate of the documentary film program at UC Berkeley, graduate school of journalism. Her writing and video work has appeared in uh, POV, uh, Vice, Motherboard, in the Huffington Post, among several other outlets. Did you write that? I did. I thought you went, <laughs> came right off your website. My guest is Emily Thomas. Hello, Emily. How are you? I'm good. Great to be here. It's really nice to have you here. And your husband, John, is here. That's what, right. What can you tell me about John that I wouldn't find in a Google search? Um, he is, his facial hair is always changing. You know, he has his mustache from yesterday. <laughs> I I noticed right off the bat that you were rocking the mustache and some sideburns, and that is a look that harkens back to my youth, not yours. Well, exactly. And about uh, a month ago, I would have had a beard as bad, about as big as yours. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I, had to, I had to look good for the film fest, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because this is, if there's one thing you can say about Missoula and the Big Sky Documentary Film Fest, it's formal. <laughs> there is exactly. there is no doubt about that. Now, Emily, you are from Michigan. You were raised in Michigan. Yes. And you are from Kentucky, John? That's right. And where in Kentucky? Uh, Louisville. Louisville. And and I know you are because you say it correctly, too, as a <laughs> exactly. matter of fact. Exactly. I finally learned how to say that. Oh, I'm 66 years old. Maybe in my early 60s, I learned how to say Louisville correctly. Where in Michigan are you from? I'm from Rochester, Michigan. Where is that? What is it near? That is about 20 minutes outside Detroit. Okay. And Madonna is also from there. You know, I went to the same high school as as Jesse Ventura, the former wrestler and governor of Minnesota. Nice. What was your team name? Uh, the Cougars. The Cougars. You know yeah. what we were? What? The Teddies. Oh. <laughs> huh? Fear? Striking fear, fear in your yeah. heart, isn't it? Theodore Roosevelt <laughs> High School. John, your high school uh, team name? Uh, we, we were the Rams. Oh. Yeah. See, you guys got real names. <laughs> we have con- We had a confusing name. All right. I have family in Michigan. Oh, really? Actually, yeah, just outside of uh, Grand Rapids in uh, Wyoming, Michigan, as a matter of fact. Um, I was looking at, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm 66 years old. I'm going to be 67 here in July. I'm an old guy, and one of the things I figured out as an old guy is I get weepy easy. And I used to see old guys do that, and I think, what in the world is the matter <laughs> with that person? What are they weepy about? But I, I watched the trailer for your film, Blessings of Liberty. And it's heartbreaking, and that's just the trailer. Um, why don't you Why don't you give us a brief description uh, of? Otherwise, I'm going to keep reading things I found online here and out of the book here. Uh, give me a first of all a brief description, if you could, uh, Emily, of of what the film is about. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so the film is about the Chaldean community in Detroit, which are Iraqi Christians, mm-hmm. and. Uh, in the height of this political polarization, uh, as Trump got elected, this community was targeted, um, and about a thousand people were picked up in a raid uh, to be detained and deported from this community. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a twist, this community actually swung the Michigan election for Trump. Which is so interesting because so much of the Rust Belt uh, and, and everything from Wisconsin to Michigan and over to Pennsylvania, states that nobody had really expected for those electoral votes uh, to go to Trump. Yeah, exactly. Did. And, and it was such a narrow, narrow margin that changed all that. How, why do you think that that, that electorate uh, uh, more or less uh, voted in that direction? They felt, uh, 
this was the first president in a long time that's actually addressed their community. Um, in, in what way do you think? On Twitter, Trump's favorite Well, yes, the, there's that, of course. <laughs> he, uh, but he what actually, was the message? He said, I vow to prioritize Middle Eastern Christians. Oh, and it was, right. it was that phrasing because they felt like Muslims were the only people under Obama's administration who had been looked after. Mm-hmm. So when they heard that, they thought, oh, Trump's going to protect us. We're going to be okay. And what turned out to be the case was the opposite. Really. So, so you focus basically on two families. In two this families film. whose fathers were picked up on Father's Day, actually, June eleventh, two thousand seventeen. So, this is a world premiere for for it this is. at the festival. Congratulations, thank by you. the way, Very and thank exciting. you for sharing it with us here in Missoula. Um, this happened on Father's Day of seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. Okay. When did you decide to start telling this story? I was. Uh, about so this happened in June and then I started in September so a couple months later um, I was producing from California but I'm from the area where this took place and once I just saw like a tiny blurb actually on Michigan radio's blog um, I knew there was a deeper story there and and started talking to families and then eventually found my characters and and what was when when you set out to make this film part of it I'm sure is that it, it it was from from your uh, your cultural hearth, um, but what was what was what grabbed you? Did you did you approach it from a political standpoint, from a human standpoint, from from a regional standpoint? What what was your connection? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I I came in it as a journalist because that's my background, right. and I really wanted to know the human side of this, the long term effects of what happens to a family when their dad is taken with that warning. And really how, once policy affects you on that human level, how does it transform your idea of politics and our systems? And I spent a lot of time with these families seeing that it did end up changing their political beliefs. When you grew up in Michigan, um, what so, so many of us were, were influenced early on in our lives by the way our family viewed politics. Did you, did you grow up in a political family? I did, very uh, leftist family. Yeah. yeah. Um, my grandpa was actually the only Republican in the family, so he would, there'd be a lot of debate. Right. Um, politics was encouraged to talk about. But good, about. healthy yeah, debate, right? Yeah, good, healthy debate. And a different, in a different Republican party, too, because yeah. because I'm, I'm uh, at least a generation uh, ahead of you guys, but uh, in my family, uh, my folks, and I graduated from high school in 1970, so it was a very political time um, with with the war and everything. Nixon was was president and Agnew was still uh, vice president. But in my family, both of my folks are Republicans, but it was a different Republican Party. Mm-hmm. That it was a, a a more fiscally conservative rather than socially conservative Republican Party. I grew up at a time where I had it left and never left. And and uh, uh, I remember sitting and I don't want this to be about me, but, but as we talk about family politics, I remember sitting at the the Sunday dinner table and my oldest brother who's 10 years older than I was in Vietnam at the time and we would put a cassette deck in the middle of the table on Sunday dinner just hit record hmm. and record the whole dinner and then uh, my mom would click it off and and they would send it off to uh, to my brother so he could have oh, that sense that. of home That's yeah cool. it was a, it was a really nice way to go but that is not seemingly the way we have those discussions anymore it has become so incredibly 
polarizing, polarizing, and tribal, and all of those things. John, what about you? what What was the What was it like growing up in in Kentucky? Because that's an interesting spot too. Yeah, Kentucky's uh, really fascinating. We, um, like many other states, have some regional divides. Louisville uh, typically is more uh, progressive. Rest of the state's a little more conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was it was a good context, um, similar to Emily's upbringing, where uh, political debate was always encouraged. Um, but I think ultimately knowledge of the policies and the actual facts about an issue um, was really the most important part of a discussion. Winning the so, discussion so was not as important exactly, as exactly. adding to it. Yeah. So, so I, I, every Sunday we'd watch Meet the Press and kind of go through. My the, old the man, round. you yeah. couldn't <laughs> peel him away from Sunday morning yeah, exactly. TV. Yeah. It was in right, before, right after church we'd come and, and watch yeah. Meet the Press. So, uh, yeah. But that's one of the things I actually love about this film is that um, Emily, with her journalistic background, um, didn't come into it with a specific view, but was able to really talk to the factors that went into people's uh, views and to look at both sides and really trying to understand it from an objective standpoint. And that's what I think is missing in a lot of the debate today. Oh, it becomes so yeah. personalized. And so you can take a personal uh, or humanistic view, but then look at both sides and really take a step back and it just really it's testament to the journalistic approach that she took in the film. It's so interesting. My, my wife is a teacher. She's a history teacher. And uh, I don't know where she read it, but uh, the statement is nobody ever changed somebody else's mind by telling them they're stupid. <laughs> you know, I mean, it seems so simple, but it's actually true. Let's get to the movie here. Uh, two families, uh, Iraqi Christian families. Um, facing the the fathers are facing deportation. How long have these people been in this country? The um, fathers, about thirty five years for one, and and thirty years for the other. Wow! So they were how old when when they moved to this country? Uh, toddlers, yeah, just babies. There. Uh, See, and I think that's excuse me for interrupting, yeah. but I think that's one of the such an interesting part of this because. We, we think of that a lot of time with, with immigrants from Mexico, mm-hmm. but we don't think of that with Iraqi or Middle Eastern immigrants necessarily, but this, these, these rulings and these, these, I don't know, and again, I don't want to start you know, throwing terms on it, but, but this affects people that have been here forever. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me about these two families in a, a brief synopsis of these two families. Sure. So there's the Dauds. Um, Angela is the wife, and Yanni's her husband who was detained. And they have a 16-year-old son, and they also live with um, their mother, or the wife's mother. Is is uh, the uh, the mother of the family, is she, is she native uh, to this country? She is. She's okay. American, yeah. Right. And, and both families are blue-collar, don't have much money. Um, in that case, the wife was working multiple jobs as a physical therapist, assistant, and just really trying to earn, you know, ends meet every month. And then the other family are the Sluos. Um, they're kind of the more gregarious, loud family. And there's four siblings, um, ranging in 18 to 21. And uh, their dad was picked up, Warda. And um, he doesn't speak English super well. Mm-hmm. Um, they speak Aramaic, which is an ancient language, right. um, which is really incredible to be around because I hadn't heard it. I, casually used before. I believe Jesus was a Americ, if uh, that's correct. If I'm not mistaken. See, I told you my wife <laughs> is a lot smarter than I, and I've learned a lot of things from here. Uh, Aramic. Um, you started this project in '17. What is the status? When when did you finish the film? I finished the film uh, in June, 
Okay. The June 2018. What is, and I don't want to give too much of away because people will be watching it. Um, uh, although you, you showed it this last weekend as well, right? I did. It's green on Saturday and it's screening today. Yeah. Elks Lodge. So what is the status of these two men now? So I just got updates actually this week. They, uh, because of the government shutdown, they're here, they're out of uh, detention, but they have to wait for their kind of final court date. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it's going to take until 2021 um, because of the backlog cases. Right. So a couple more years of complete limbo and potentially a new president uh, where things could change a lot. Right. That, that's the other part of it is that in, uh, things move so fast in this country right now uh, between the news cycle and politically and everything else that you, it, it's, it's hard to get your footing under you. It's hard to get your footing under you when you're sitting here in Missoula, Montana with a good job and, and very few things threatening your, your life. I can't even imagine what it's like to get your footing under you when, you, when you're in a situation like that. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that's interesting. Well, thank you so much for coming. It's such a pleasure to have you both in the yeah, studio. Thank you. This is wonderful. I'm honored that you would uh, take the time to come in. And, and have either of you been to Montana before? First time. John? Yeah, first time. Well, I might have come uh, as a child on a couple of family trips, but... Uh, but they were, like, driving through on the way to somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, I think it was during the springtime. Uh, but I love the mountains, love the snow. It's Beautiful great. Beautiful yeah, here. Yeah, really it is. It. it is. And and uh, how long will you, will you guys be around for the rest of the week? Will you stick around? Or do yeah, you... sticking around until Friday. Okay. Any, like, must-do Missoula yeah. things? Yeah. The, the, the skies are supposed to clear up. Oh, nice. And when the sun comes out, that view right out there, the one that looks like North Dakota in Bismarck <laughs> in... in uh, February, there's a beautiful big mountain there called called Mount Sentinel, and uh, there's a big beautiful mountain over there called Mount Jumbo. Uh, there's uh, Chapakin Peak over this direction. The Bitterroots are down there. The Bitterroot Valley is over there. So when the sky clears, you'll be amazed. Oh, great! Wow. Can't one, wait. Of, one of my stepdaughters got married years ago when we had bad forest fires one summer, and my sister came out from Minnesota, and she looked around and she said. It looks just like North Dakota. <laughs> I said, wait for the smoke to rise, and the next day it did. Thank right. you for coming. Oh, I need to mention, uh, today's performance is at the Elks. We went to a show at the Elks on Sunday. Surprisingly good location yeah. over at the Elks. Uh, and you were at the Wilma last time. You know, if you could just sneak it in over at MCT, you'd have the trifecta okay. here. You know that. Uh, one, no, 3.45 this afternoon uh, at the Elks. It's called Blessings of Liberty. John, is your last name Thomas as well? Uh, Toner. Toner. Yeah. That's so close. Do people confuse those two, Thomas and Toner? All the time. All the time. All the time. <laughs> yeah, we've got a Hickson and a Johnson. That No, nah, nobody ever confuses those. <laughs> All right. So my guests this morning, uh, Emily Thomas and John Toner. The, uh, the film, again, is Blessings of Liberty. Uh, its world premiere was this last Saturday at Wilma, and you can catch it today at 345 at the Elks. Thanks again, you guys. Thanks Thank you so much. We're The Trail, 103.3.